there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Scott Morris. This is another Fuds on Film commentary. Joining me today, Craig Eastman. Hello. And Drew Tavendale. Hello. And yes, we're watching 12 Monkeys, and the Universal logo should just be vanishing. So if you haven't hit play on your recording already, then better go back and do that then. So, 12 Monkeys, we were talking about Tech Noir in our latest podcast, and this seemed as good as any choice to pick for a commentary subject. One of the most accomplished films on that list, I think. Certainly, I think one of the favourites. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I know that you two both preferred Brazil to this, but I think for me, Terry Gilliam's most accomplished and polished film, most complete film. Arguably so. Yeah, now this is um, based, as we mentioned in our last podcast, on the new wave film La Jete. And there is a credit in the film for Based On, uh, which is a little disingenuous because what they really should be saying is, is La Jete, <laughs> to a greater extent than not. Except this one moves and stuff, so mm. it does bring that innovation <laughs> to the genre. And La Jete notable for its distinct lack of monkeys Drew so then mm. <laughs> the the kid that Taylor Gillum had originally cast as the young Cole here is watching these events happening at the airport he had cast simply on the strength of his eyes which is quite weak I would think but Hmm. He found that when the kid was supposed to come in to this airport and sort of look around in awe and wonder, he was completely able to do it. So he had good looking eyes and nothing else. So at the last minute, the kid that you see there was recast because he can apparently look around and wonder. But to be honest, there's not really a lot being asked of that child at all. I find it's always useful to have a backup child. Oh yeah, you've got to have a backup child, yeah, because you might lose one. Yeah. Uh, his original idea was that the film would open and close on the child's eyes. But as we can talk about later, the ending of just the child's eyes wasn't really satisfactory for the story. But he really wanted to try and have it be balanced in that way and close and open in the same manner. But unfortunately, that artistic idea is superseded by the fact they actually had to make a story satisfying. Don't think much of the living gaffes in the future. I'm pretty sure I've seen that guy dressed exactly like that as a rogue simulant in Red Dwarf. <laughs> I like the statement in the Amster Factor where he's talking about how he was obsessed with like condoms and bubbles for this yeah. this production. That is the the whole body condom, isn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> that's a substantial one. 
very naked gun, isn't it? Actually, the city's putting it on there just now um, calls back to the suit that you see Bob Hoskins wearing in Brazil. Although, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, not filled with this time. <laughs> if I don't, given he actually likes to reuse filmmaking styles and things, it would be surprised if it turned out that it was actually the prop um, yeah. from Brazil, <laughs> particularly given that while he had much more money to work with for 12 Monkeys than he had with Brazil, he had $29 million for this. For a mid-90s science fiction film, that really isn't a lot of money. And he was basically scrimping and saving at every single point to try and finally bring this film to the screen. Mm. One thing I think that kind of locked out for them is that they, they weren't afforded the luxury of any sound stages. So all these had to be like scouted out disused sets, but they all look fabulous. Mm. Particularly something like this looks incredible. Yeah, it's part of that, you know, the idea that art thrives on restriction. Mm. And instead of, well, this, I have to find real places, but you can, it feels real and it, it gives it a different quality that on a soundstage I just don't think you could get. I wonder how many productions would just CG that kind of a location now or augment it with CG. Good 95% probably. And it would just never feel the same. It would be nice if anybody had ever managed realistic fake snow, though. <laughs> they still essentially just use laxative flakes. Mm. That seems, seems to be one of the common ones to do it. Which can't be, possibly a health hazard for a number of reasons. Yeah, there's a few. There's I can that. only assume you... Sorry, so there's that um, liquid-absorbing polymer, which is possibly the the most realistic-looking because it looks convincingly wet. But then, otherwise, it's mm. uh, laxative flakes or soap flakes, or very often rice. Um, I don't wish, I wish any of them are particularly good for the environment. Are <laughs> oh, you were saying, Craig? Oh, I can't remember. Must have been a lie then. Yeah. I was gonna, I think it was uh, you were saying about the the possible health detriments there, Scott. And I can only imagine you mean for the people who need those laxative flakes and can't find them because all of the local pharmacies are out of stock. <laughs> yes. I think that was only only really know that was ever used in a few episodes of Red Dwarf, and I'm sure Gilliam has access to slightly more elaborate props than the the, the old BBC sitcom departments. <laughs> You never know. There's a line in the hamster factor that doesn't get elaborated on that, that intrigues me, and he's, he's it's mentioned in passing that he was ripped off by the bear supplier, <laughs> and I want to know how because <laughs> it looks like there's a bear there. Yes. Timothy Treadwell. <laughs> yeah, there are all sorts of animals. They're definitely there, but yeah, that was clearly a bear. It's clearly a real bear. <laughs> I think it's Bruce Willis who's missed out here because if he'd been attacked by that bear, Oscar, as Leonardo DiCaprio proves. Inspired by the film. No, no, is the film. <laughs> uh, those wide shots like that of the city, not that wide, but showing it covered in snow, that's a bit more convincing, actually, and it looks appropriately mm. desolate. I find it quite impressive when they can do that to a, 
I said to Noam that they are so constrained time-wise because even with the most generous limits given by a city council, they're never going to have more than maybe a day or so at most to close down a large part of a city to try and make it look different. Yeah. Because they need it to be a city in that. Exactly, yeah. So Generally. They, they do a rather convincing job in this film. Some of it, it will be real because it was shot a large part in winter, which caused them all sorts of other problems too, including the fact that most people were like half on their way to hypothermia, but <laughs> it's still a lot of work that you have to do in a short time. So to do it so well is a testament to the ingenuity and skill of the filmmakers. I'm thinking of getting that shower system installed in my flat. <laughs> Okay, now this is the scene that gave rise to the term the hamster factor. That box at the front of the screen has a hamster in it and the the reason for the short bit of making of this being called the hamster factor was the fact that it was indicative um, or emblematic of the way Terry Gilliam would kind of get lost in one detail. So several takes of that scene where he almost was ignoring what Bruce Willis was doing with the syringe and just focusing on the one detail of the hamster never doing what the hamster was supposed to do. And to the exclusion of all else, Gilliam focused intently on that one tiny detail. Um, and he did that several times throughout the making of the film. We just get completely absorbed by one small, potentially inconsequential thing. And I get the impression that caused some frustration if not some friction uh, on the set well surely it's got to because I can't be the only person who didn't notice there was a hamster there until I saw that uh, documentary on it yeah, mm. I was more or less the same Scott yeah. <laughs> old Willis can sometimes have a reputation for being difficult to work with I can, I can only imagine what his thoughts on that might have been <laughs> Though to be fair to me, I know he does have that reputation. The the few clips you do see of, and you don't know quite how it was edited, of course, but the few clips you do see of Willis um, discussing the craft in that documentary, it doesn't actually look like he's that annoyed about it. He's quite invested in it, which is gives yeah. a lie to that somewhat. Now, one thing you, Gilliam did get a little obsessed with, and I think in this case it was worthwhile, was he and the producers were so worried about this giant sphere of television screens and things and the way it moved uh, because when it was put together at first it wobbled so much and did not move smoothly and if you see this thing wobble when it moves in, then you're instantly taken out of it. It looks like something from Prisoner Cell Block 8. It suddenly looks like a prop and it just quickly shake you out of your suspension of disbelief. So that's the sort of thing worth focusing on. The hamster, not so much. I'm quite glad they never actually show a great deal of the mechanics of time travel and these kind of things. Mm. It always gets a little bit distracting and 
to be honest, it, because it is inherently nonsense, it just <laughs> always just takes you out of any film and they actually try to include it in any real detail. Like, for example, Looper, where he, you know, yeah. Bruce Willis returned to this. Time travel shtick. I know, um, or if I remember correctly, he kind of just shudders a bit in like a piece of cargo net or something. <laughs> High tech cargo net, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I just watched Terminator Genesis today. And that almost handles it in a, an acceptable fashion. Sadly, I have forgotten all details of Terminator Genesis now. Apart from, you know, scary plastic CG young Arnold. The uh, rest of it's all gone. I'm not entirely unhappy with that state of affairs, although it's just a mediocre film. This is something I mentioned on our Technoir podcast as well, but alongside the the time travel thing, well, the future bits that you do see, they look kind of broken down. The rest of the time travel bit is mostly contemporaneous to the time the film was released. Saves money in sets too, but I think it means you, you're suddenly more grounded as well, as well as not knowing whether it's taking place inside of his head or not. But there's very little that dates the film as quickly as incorrect visions of a future. Mm. Especially a near future. You look at how wrong 2001 got it just 30 years later and like, yeah, not even vaguely similar. I'm impressed that Bruce Willis actually took this role because it's something of a break from type. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I mean, this is, certainly you wouldn't see the, the guy from Die Hard wouldn't know. And essentially this is your introduction to him in any real sense and he's sitting crouched in a corner dribbling like a lunatic. It's not, it's not exactly on brand for him. Well, this is around the time in his career where he was willing to try different stuff. Um, I think he was bored with the action guy stuff and he still actually cared about being an actor, whereas nowadays I get the impression he's just whatever for a paycheck, yeah. basically. He does seem to be very much an actor for hire nowadays. He doesn't seem to have any of the enthusiasm that he did in the mid to late 90s. I mean, this is it's kind of prime period for Willis. I mean, I know he's still doing other action films, but it wasn't Pulp mm. Fiction. He was doing this... Um, uh, like Mercurizing, which is not quite the same as the type of action films he was doing no. in the past. Sixth Sense. Yeah, absolutely. In Country. Yep. And I'm glad he did, because I think it's arguably Willis's best ever performance. Hmm. remember reading an interview with him around the time of the release of Looper where he had gone on record saying 
it was the best film he'd ever done. And I just remember coming out of the cinema afterwards thinking, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. This feels like a particularly Gilliam scene, this, doesn't it? All of the, the Dutch angles yeah. and wide lenses. and Yeah, and the, the way the people are just sort of wandering around like that and lots of stuff going on in the background. Mm. Apparently Pitt did a surprising amount of research for this role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was talking to psychiatrists yeah. and he was like viewing lots of videos and things of genuinely neurotic and psychotic patients to try and get the, the physical text down accurately. they kind of lucked out by getting Brad Pitt on the cheap. He hadn't quite uh, blown up. Yeah, he yeah. yeah, more or less blew up during the production of the film. Um, and suddenly they were besieged on set by people wanting to to see Brad. Um, so that kind of helped boost the popularity of the film once it came, once it came out. But then also you kind of feel, I mean, his career not as established as, as Willis is by this point, but I kind of get the impression that Brad Pitt was here for much the same reason as uh, as Willis in trying to break out of a bit of typecasting because he was really just the romantic lead pretty boy up until this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we still fairly small act at the time I mean, he was like on the up but not so much but then while this was or at least by the time it came out Interview with the Vampire and Legends of the Fall and Seven all came out and then suddenly huge star hmm. Now, as Scott said about the amount of time he was spent, just like weeks and weeks at a um, psychiatric ward observing the patients to try and prepare for this. It's 
so unless he's just invented a whole lot of stuff after that, you have to assume that this portrayal is at least reasonably accurate. Convincing enough for me, anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that cat in my chair line. <laughs> I just love the incongruity of what he's wearing. Yeah. Mm. I just even adds more to the fact you're like, is he imagining this? Because why how and why would somebody in this place have that clothing and be able to wear it and have it be so pristine? <laughs> doesn't seem like the most well-run mental institution, does it? It's just like, we'll just let all these people just wander around the hall. Like, Look, what's this guy doing in the background? Or the, the reflection in the yeah, background? Yeah. But he's, I'm not entirely sure what that gesture is. <laughs> uh, that cracks me up every time he just lays his head gently on his shoulder. <laughs> Not a fan of physical contact.
You're no help. Not the most relaxing recurring dream to have. Mm. It's going to make you wake up feeling less than rested. Good thinking. Where can I store the spider? Where can I store the spider? <laughs> My stomach, obviously. Really hmm. an aficionado of uh, arts points and click games. If you see it, pick it up. You're going to need it somewhere along the line. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, they should have gone more with that in this film. This film doesn't have its um, equivalent of hypnotised quarrelsome rhinoceros. There's <laughs> got to be an animated gif of that running around. I was literally about <laughs> to say, where's the gif of that?
That boy's got issues. <laughs> So did he end up eating the spider? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah, he tells the scientists oh. that later. To what end? Because he wanted to bring back a sample of the animal life to them, but he didn't have anything to put it in except himself. Uh, good thinking with a spider. You should do some of that again. I don't know why people don't eat things they want to hold on to more often. <laughs> Real out of the box thinking that one. Real trick to playing a guy. That's a very strange advert, if it is an advert that they're watching. Well, that depends on what it's an advert for, Scott. Well, I assume it's a, some sort of product. If you have a bear problem, it will yes, transmogrify into some bison. <laughs> yes. I shot them all in that gurney that was really amusing not the ideal condition to be attempting to escape in no. Stoned after your tits.
Well, Touch is like that guy doing the, la- the lights on <laughs> stilts. <laughs> of course. Of course he is. <laughs> Seems legit. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that's definitely a situation. <laughs> now it's another one evaporated.
Yes, that's probably what happened because he can fly. And shrink. Basically, sad man. Yeah, Brad Pitt with the long ginger hair. It's not a sitting pseudo look for him, really, is it? So I kind of guess this is the best evidence for most of this being inside Willis's head. This seemingly all knowing voice, yeah. which then kind of pops back up in the street later on in the yeah, because yeah, he thinks he hears it first or later on from the guy with who's taking all his teeth out, the homeless guy, but it's yeah. actually someone trying to help him. Yes. Yeah, that does lend credence to that theory of viewing it that none of this is happening because he's now hearing voices. And of course it does straight up tell you maybe I'm not even here. Yeah. Just put some chips in the oven. Anybody want any chips? Gilliam got sued for this uh, setup by an architect, Labius, Labius Woods, a yeah, speculative conceptual artist, uh, architect. Sorry. And, um, oh, really? It. Uh, I normally don't have much tolerance for these kind of things, but then I did look at the image, and yes, it's a direct lift from it. Yes, so, and yeah. so the initial response to the lawsuit was that they were they cut all these scenes out of the film, but then eventually Universal settled with them for a six-figure sum. Um. Yeah. It's. It's not even subtle, Scott, is it? It's it's the same place. Oh, yeah. Which I assume is the set designer's fault because I'm really quite surprised to learn that Gary Gilliam was involved. Some of the genuine stuff is so original. Yeah.
I suspect the answer is yes, but I'm afraid at this moment I can't remember. Is it ever mentioned what he's in prison for? No, not that I recall. I don't recall, no. He's got kind of like behaviour issues or something, doesn't he? But no one's ever actually said exactly what he got in prison for. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> The giant time travelling oh. condom is considerably less glamorous than a DeLorean, isn't it? <laughs> I would have to imagine he was imprisoned for having made bandits with Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Specifically his haircut. That's right. Haircut. <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah, someone's hair, I guess, but... He's always been a prime supporter of comedy wigs, or Bruce, hasn't he? Uh, him and Mark Strong, they're, they're really the, the forefront of that movement, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, and this, he does a fantastic job of it in this with the, the syrup that he wears at the end. With matching moustache. <laughs> he really doubles down on it there. Oh! Missed again. Only 80 years out this time. This film and its cinema release made nearly $170 million worldwide, which has got to put it um, pretty high up in uh, Gilliam's commercial successes. Mm. Very much not what Brazil managed to achieve. Which um, ended up with like a cult following and home video, etc. But very much flopped in the cinema. Is it still his highest, highest grossing film to date? This, I'm not sure. I suspect it could be the imaginary of Dr. Parnassus simply because it's 
like nearly 20 years newer. Mm. There would just be a lot more money around. And if like for like it would be inflation adjusted or something, it would be different. I'm just waiting for someone at Marvel to realise that they ran out of actual directors to go for most of their usual projects and give one to Gilliam just for the hell of it and see what happens. Well, Marvel <laughs> actually do make some odd choices. I mean, uh, Kenneth Branagh for the first Thor That's was true. always a particularly strange one to me. I think they've actually picked someone quite unusual for Thor 3 too. I forget who now. Michael Winner. <laughs> the, ghost, the ghost of Michael Winner. Michael Winner, yeah. Oh, no. Um, imagine if Dr. Parnassus only did $60 million. So, yeah, um, I think it probably is comfortably Gilliam's highest grossing film, Craig. Get out of here, you crazy loon. <laughs> David Morse, you wag. I always find this is the best way to start a romance as well. Uh, kidnap someone and threaten yeah. their life. Yeah. Uh, it's unconventional, certainly, Scott. Well, at the time with an attractive woman, you have to do something to set yourself apart from the crowd, <laughs> don't you? <I> mean, <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah. I learned that watching Hitch. So many important life lessons you can learn from watching Will Smith films. But what the hell? <laughs> Close enough, right? Oh, much of a muchness, really.
doesn't want to go to Philadelphia. I hear it's always sunny there. And all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. So. <laughs> this film does love the Florida Keys, doesn't it? Surely it does. This isn't um, the f only film where Bruce Willis starts a romance by kidnapping someone in a car. <laughs> it worked so well for him that he did not read as well. <laughs> I can barely remember anything about Red. Apart from Malkovich wearing bushes on his head and whatnot. Kidnaps Mary Louise Parker for her well-being. <laughs> He's a considerate guy like that. He is. He is. That is undeniable. <laughs> Here, it's great. Mm -hmm. Missed the trick by not sticking his tongue out in this scene, I think. <laughs> I'm going full dog. Yes. Sadly, it doesn't have any hair to blow in the breeze. <laughs> well, in all likelihood, in his current mental state, he may well end up taking a dump on the back seat. <laughs> This is a highly unrealistic scene. They've turned that radio station on, well, that radio onto two separate stations that's had something on that he wants to listen to. <laughs> that never happens. Yes. I suppose the more realistic, not finding a single station. Yes. <laughs> Bit on the nose, don't you think? <laughs> oh, with all the actual time travelling cartoons on it. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
That's incredibly similar to the scenes in Red, actually, with Mary Louise Parker. Why would you want to send Woody Woodpecker back in time anyway? What's what he going to do for you? That's, you've not thought it through, cartoon professor. Mm, to what end? Clearly to kill the uh, the mother of the leader of the human resistance <laughs> in the war against the machines. By viciously <laughs> picking him. <laughs> And the machine send, uh, honestly, the human send Foghorn Leghorn back. So let me make a note of this here. <laughs> I like Madeline Stowe a lot in this film. I think she gives a really strong performance, but I just wish, you know, she was cast for reasons of acting first and not as with almost every other woman because of how she looked. And things don't seem to have improved a great deal in 20 years since this movie. Because. Mm. What is she doing these days? Not sure. Gilliam cast Bruce Willis, right? Because he thought he was, um, I quote, somebody who's strong and dangerous but also vulnerable. So, you know, somebody suitable for the role. Um, and he was persuaded to cast Brad Pitt and thought he could sell the, the manic character quite well. And then he cast Madeline Stowe because um, she has the incredible ethereal beauty and she's incredibly intelligent. But obviously the beauty thing has to come first, eh? And then he said... Uh, it's not even a prerequisite that she need be intelligent. Yeah. She just needs to be a good actor. Yeah. Um, then well done, Gilliam. Those two things rest very easily with her, and the film needed those elements because it has to be romantic. Because heaven forbid anybody fell in love with someone who wasn't beautiful, right? <laughs> that would be clearly unbelievable because that's never happened ever. Uh, I was just disappointed that when it comes to casting women, that's um, very often the only and almost always the first thing that people look at. Any of know why necessarily I would think I would hope for any better from Gilliam, but I'd find myself doing so. In answer to your question, Craig, she's been in the uh, fairly popular ABC's, I think it is, series Revenge for the last four years, and her most recent credit is 12 Monkeys, the TV series <laughs> that is just being made, just now in the second series of that. So. Oh, really? She's in the TV series? Well, well, well. I've never seen any of the television series of Twelve Monkeys. I didn't think it was particularly necessary, but no. 
Seems like an odd... Um, yeah, I've kind of avoided it for much the same reason. Like, this film does the story very, very well. I don't really need to see the story done differently. Yeah. This guy knows the score. He surely does. I assume he's supposed to be the guy in the drawing that was on the slides that uh, Madeline Stowe was showing earlier, but not completely sure about that, but I think it should be. I like to um, Bruce Willis kind of sells, and that's a really good example of it when he leaps out of the car there, is that because the world went um, when he was still a kid, I don't think he ever really grew up properly, um, and he still has some sort of childish or childlike characteristics to him, including the way he sort of very excitedly ran out of the car there. I just had to buy my cat silence with a treat there. He's an immersion little bugger, isn't he? Well, he's something, but... <laughs> I've always loved that guy <laughs> He knows what's up It's in the tooth, Bob Bob, Bob. Bob. What is your surname? Up and down In the water, in the water. This, of course, is the classiest hotel there is in Philadelphia, so. <laughs> hmm. Seen here after a multi-million dollar renovation. Yeah. You know, also using the gun might have worked. You've got to conserve ammo. <laughs> Is it the last of us or something? Well, 
I'm thinking Cole possibly needs a tattoo like Raven and Snowcrash saying poor impulse control. Some of the better dressed denizens of Philadelphia. <laughs> this is a high rent district, so. <laughs> this is it. David Cameron's favourite watering hole. <laughs> the pig's mouth. That's a hostile working environment. I would not be happy if that was a soundtrack to my workplace. So that's where the idea for snakes on a plane came from. Gorilla actions. Ah, ah. Sorry, monkeys, sorry. I was thinking justice for Harambe, but that's going to sound uh, terribly dated in a couple of months. <laughs> to be honest, Craig, given the current um, attention span of the public and the media news cycle, it sounds dated now. Badly. Thank you for treading all over my. <laughs> oh no, it's not your issue that makes it sound dated. Anyone want a chip? Yeah, go on. Shove it in the microphone. It won't go. <laughs> Technology fails us once again. One boffin, do you think this is acceptable? Yes. 
Surely we're due chips over IP by this point. <laughs> yeah, really nice chips. Everyone dies no long enough time scale. <laughs> it's not subtle. <laughs> Got the subtitles on here with the volume turned down and all it said in square brackets was mimicking Jeffrey. <laughs> you could somewhat tell by uh, Willis's gurning it probably wasn't flattering. <laughs> Damn nice chips. Stay tuned for further updates on Craig's um, oven-baked potato snacks. But all I have to contribute. Oh, we just mean to this commentary, because otherwise it's a very, very <laughs> sad statement. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm thinking, our, um, you know, if any of our American friends are listening, they're going to be thinking... Um, why they don't put their chips in the oven, man? <laughs> hey, why'd you do that, see? Yeah, chips, see? Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna put some chips in the oven, see? And much of our listenership is made up from 1950s cartoons, is it? <laughs> Interesting kind of demographic. I mean, demographic, see? Yeah. <laughs> Can't get enough of the podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I do quite like this as a device for convincing her that his story is true, that it's not something you could make up, this news story that's been playing out over the radio over several days, but it's still kind of fairly subtle. It's just like one piece of information he remembers and he picked up on. It wasn't like a, mm. like, you know, I'm going to show the results of the horse race tomorrow and then give a big list of things or something like that. It's yeah. just... Didn't the guy shoot him in the leg with a revolver? I can't remember now. I only remember seeing guys with rifles, so I can't mm. remember. The monkey will eat the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, you can't trust the monkey, see? Yeah. They're giving the monkey an infrared camera so that he can see, see? 
But basically what you're saying is one of our largest demographics is the Ant Hill mob. It's <laughs> <laughs> an interesting facial hair for him there. <laughs> The magic word. <laughs> Soviet sleeper agent activation code. <laughs> mutate like the neutrinos.
a big one for absolute chaos, isn't he, Argillium? <laughs> I don't think he has... Um, he lied to us, that wasn't tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's clearly a Ziploc bag. <laughs> Terrible continuity error. Um, I don't think Gilliam has the most optimistic viewpoint in the world at times. <laughs> See if the news hasn't changed. Like, this is a distressing fact, but we haven't confirmed it, but we'll report on it anyway. Enhance the fact that that's one of the bits where you see Bruce Willis discussing a scene. Um, he's told by Gilliam to you know, just stand there and that she would kick him um, and then he'd get thrown backwards and attack him. And Bruce Willis is quite adamant that that basically is complete and arrant nonsense, that there's no way she... He says, um, she could stand there and kick me all day and I wouldn't move, <laughs> give her a weapon. <laughs> Obviously, um, Gilliam won that battle. <laughs> that Bruce Willis was quite adamant that there was, there was just no way that that woman would be able to um, hit him hard enough to move him. So he wanted to hit with a crowbar or something, I think. I actually think did the he's got a point. It's that age-old question <clears throat> of philosophy, isn't it? What happens when an immovable object meets a woman? You just know that in her mind she's thinking he's just like gone somewhere for fun while she was locked in that bit. <laughs> it's a little the childlike nature coming back to the floor again there. Cole never really grew up.
pranked. I thought those kids got grounded for all of eternity. <laughs> Seems great. <laughs> it's also very Gilliam, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> 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 I like that the security forces uh, uniform in the future appears to be a bin bag. <laughs> <laughs> I've touched the teddy bears there. It's cute. Um, <laughs> yeah, the they were at pains to have nothing in the future be anything other than. Um, like pre nineteen ninety six technology, um, it apparently a, a it was largely around in nineteen ninety six where plastic bags and various plastic transparent sheeting is <laughs> a good fifty percent of the set design in the future scenes. Oh, not the costumes. The wardrobe department bought heavily into derelict. <laughs> <laughs> so hot right now. Cool. So hot right now. Oh, Catherine, Catherine, Catherine. He also said one of the Kennedys is dead. Wop, wop, wop. Okay, do you know, um, quoting Matt Berry podcasts, <laughs> and earlier you were worried that people wouldn't understand that you meant um, fries when you were talking about chips. <laughs> dumbing it down and explaining it for everyone Drew <laughs> leave the audience something to think about like the chips chips <laughs> very nice they were clearly they're a metaphor but for what Chemtrails. They're a metaphor for chemtrails. What do you want, Bob? <laughs> Oh, 
Arnie would have been great in this. <laughs> Which of his one emotion would you call upon from two? <laughs> he just spent the whole film going. <laughs> 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 People tried to strap him to a gurney. It can possibly have been from prior to 1920, but I would have noticed it was fired then. Mm. Well, they put it in a big science agitator and that's what the <laughs> results were. <laughs> yeah. I've seen CSI, I know how it works. Exactly. <laughs> I've always wanted to have a crazy wall like this. Funnily enough, I just had the same thought a couple of days ago. What I watched something... Someone had a crazy wall. I thought it would be a good way to mess, you know, with people's head if you moved house was just to... Leave the crazy wall. Well, not leave the but like paper over it, maybe. <laughs> Surely you want to uh, elaborately brick it up. Just behind, just very thin kind of false wall so that they always get the impression that the room is slightly smaller than it should be. Mm. And then one day they'll, they'll, they'll just try and break that wall down and yeah. then discover it and... Put a bit of plasterboard up over it. Like, wait until someone, um, you know, wait until some sort of senior political figure somewhere is uh, brutally assassinated (laughs) and then just take pictures of them and and draw crosshairs over them and, you know, get a map of the place where they were assassinated and just draw a red pen on it, a sort of a a route. Lots of string going back to pronounce of things about chemtrails. and. I just like the guy in the background of this scene working on the giant crazy wall. (laughs) Nice wee suspended chair. A monkey army doctor. A monkey army doctor? A monkey army doctor. It's a radical reinterpretation of MASH. (laughs) Rest assured, I'm definitely not training any monkeys to be an army medic. That is not something we do here. They found us out. Now listen here and listen good. I don't even know what a monkey is, see? <laughs> I never heard of this monkey before. Stop bothering me. Some of them monkeys look like they might be playing or something. <laughs> Keep an eye on them. <laughs> you mark my words, I do not trust these monkeys, sir. <laughs> Hello. 
<laughs> She's watched too much TV. <laughs> Your tag's crap, by the way. You've failed Jet Set Radio forever.
That's probably what happened. Yes. Really just caught me onto this now, right? <laughs> Very perceptive of you. I don't know, he seemed perfectly reasonable until he start, totally started talking about computer simulations. Then I just, I thought something about that tipped me off. Another real classy joint. Oh, it was the Simpsons. Is 
This is another enthralling commentary. <laughs> you should stop doing these. I am one cheat. I believe that's a Russell crowing. <laughs> Everyone wants cash. <laughs> it's a pleasant change. <laughs> I've got wife and kids. <laughs> Don't kill me, I've got friends. Ha, <laughs> <laughs>
to blend in. Soaked in blood, but okay. That was Philadelphia. Maybe that's the beer Gilliam got stiffed on. Time travel, it screws with your head, see? It was a pretty good recording, it sounded exactly like her, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. End with Florida. Is there a reason for it being Florida? Or is it just a reason to get him to that shirt at the end? <laughs> They should just assume they have a wig department because I believe they're incredibly common. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I believe him. I mean, he obviously considered it for some time there. And... That tree got about a bit, didn't it? <laughs> Well-travelled yeah. specimen. Convincing. That's with all of his earpieces, Scott. Of course. There are just so many examples of him looking fantastic in wigs and um, things. This and bandits and surrogates. There's just no end to the show pieces of Bruce Willis looking amazing in hair pieces. <laughs> That's a strange statue to have outside of a zoo. Not a bad look for her. Um, not so sure about it. <laughs> to be honest, nobody comes off well in the hairpiece <laughs> department in this film, really. Because he looks pretty terrible. Brad Pitt looks ridiculous with the orange wig. David Morse looks more or less ridiculous <laughs> with the orange wig. Definitely his film strengths. Easily the least believable aspect of this film. Without a doubt. 
it is a nice reveal. This uh, again, the the plan that actually was happening with the whole army of the Veil monkeys being just this nonsense instead of. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, a couple of good twists in this film that um, don't seem contrived or anything; just that yeah. like they're on the wrong track. I always like the implication that there's some intentionality behind what these team use and zebras are doing. So they're deliberately setting up roadblocks. <laughs> I don't know, I've never really been in an airport that looks quite like that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. That's quite a distinctive looking airport. Very Art Deco looking, which is quite strange for something that uh, would, a style that would predate yes. <laughs> air travel, but... I think it's actually a convention centre or something, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, the interiors, uh, Pennsylvania or Philadelphia mm-hmm. Convention Center, something like that, isn't it? The outsides are the airport in Baltimore. Uh, need to pay attention to the credits later and look for the this film funded in part by the Florida Keys <laughs> um, Travel Board. <laughs> It's curious maybe not the best destination because if you get to Key West you basically have nowhere to go unless you fancy swimming to Cuba. (laughs) You've only got one road out.
I'm off to join a prog rock band. <laughs> it's a very eclectic bunch of stickers on that suitcase. Like one for portable showers and one for one seems to be about piles. It's, it's a it's not what I choose to transport my deadly viruses in. It doesn't seem like a complicated direction to do. <laughs> Just look around a bit. What the looking wonder? Yes. <laughs> the first kid probably could not do it at all. It's a, it's a great look for you. To be honest, I think nowadays with kid actors, we should just be happy they're not saying yippee. <laughs> and being possibly awful. <laughs> It's the most subtle gun we could find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
like how they always employ the smartest people at mm-hmm. airport security. Biological samples. You say, well, I should definitely shake it you then. You just insist that you open it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to insist you allow me to gargle with this. <laughs> I'm assuming you don't have these uh, securely sealed for any particular reason. <laughs> Biological, you say. Well, that can't possibly be bad in any way. It's all natural, you see. Would somebody please think of the children? You shot my moustache off. Now there's going to be a picture of me looking like this in the paper. This scene, of course, the inspiration for Crazy in Love, the song by Beyonce and Jay-Z. It's difficult to do a touching, heartfelt scene in that wig, isn't it? <laughs> I also love that at this airport, where these people that you've just shot may, may well be crazy, but one of them was shouting about someone else having a deadly virus. You would check that. <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. And you, you, at least they say, um, we're sorry, and like to David Morsi's character, we're sorry about um, this happening to you mm-hmm. in our airport or something, eh? It's the, I mean, if these these days, if you so much as I mean, make a tweet about a bomb threat, you'll be arrested, so... You'll be atomised. <laughs> you'll be taken away and quietly seceded. You know, that's the shot that Terry Gilman wanted to end the film on. That shot of the kid's eyes looking at her, and that you wanted to bookend it with both of them, but... The argument was, and it was obviously won by his producers, the argument with his producer was that um, while that left it ambiguous as to whether it really happened in his head or whether it happened for real, was that because you didn't see that the scientist here is going to be sitting next to David Morse, that everything that Cole did was for now. 
That's why they decided to extend the film a bit and show that he'd actually achieved something and didn't die for nothing. I can like the idea of it finishing Ooh. before this, though. A huge percentage of the viewing public have this aversion to ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Perhaps because a huge percentage of the viewing public have an aversion to thinking. I want to check that this kid hasn't actually had a mild stroke or something. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I did an extra eye shot so he could still get his balance there, but it's, it was the earlier one he wanted to finish on. Well, that happened. He can't stop it now. Unless you were to go back into the past and stop us before we even had the idea to do it. Then what would happen? Anarchy, Scott, is what would happen. Off of any closing thoughts on 12 Monkeys, I think we perhaps said it all earlier. But yeah, it was certainly a, a very nice film, still holds up very well to this day, I think. Yeah, it doesn't feel particularly dated. Guess we'll just sign off there. Thanks for your continued attention. I have been Scott Morris again. Joining me, Craig Eastman. Good night. And Drew Tavendale. Goodbye. Take it easy. Nothing to myself. Right away,